great to see you. Uh, Bobby mentioned uh, before the service, we have 280 ladies signed up for the ladies conference. 280, isn't that amazing? <clears throat> so if you haven't signed up, I encourage you to sign up. I think it's going to be one of those things that if you miss, you're going to always regret. And so you can still come. I think, uh, I think they need... Maybe the amount for the lunch is already over, but you can still come and hang out and be a part of the conference and uh, see Bobby, give Bobby a call for more information. I think it's going to be an amazing time. And so hopefully you ladies, if you're able to be here, I hope that you'll come. So check with her, get all the details, and I know she'll be glad to fill you in. So we're going to finish up just kind of a mini-series on discipleship. I'm not an expert on it, but I know as I think about discipleship, I'm always amazed as going back to the original. You know, it's amazing. We have a lot of great programs out there, and there's, you know, a lot of great things on discipleship. But how many of you know that the best disciple person of all was Jesus? So it's always good to go back to the original. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how important it was just to get a good handle on God's Word. So part of discipleship is just learning how to begin to feed on God's Word, get a good handle on God's Word. In John chapter 8, read with me the words of Jesus. If you abide in my Word, hold fast to my teachings, and live in accordance with them, you are truly my disciples. So obviously, discipleship has to do with getting a good grip on God's Word. And so we talked about six ways that you can help get a grip on God's Word. We can hear, read, study, memorize, meditate, and apply. And so we want to use as many of them as we can just again to be able to get a good handle on God's Word. Last week we talked about God's plan for not only physical but spiritual growth really goes back to the very beginning when God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. That's God's plan, not only for physical growth, but spiritual growth as well. And we talked about being fruitful. And let me again just remind you, no matter what subject we're on, I believe the most important part of any subject in the Bible is your personal relationship with God. Everything spills out of a personal love relationship with God. Jesus said in John 15, abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit without me. Without Jesus, being connected to that vine is so vitally important. And so I just want to remind you of all the things you're doing for God, the absolute most important is your personal time with God, your love relationship with God. And so I want to encourage you to never get so busy serving God that you fall out of love with God. So that absolutely is the most important thing, is being fruitful. And then to multiply, we use the example of a couple having two children. They get married. They each have two children. They get married. They each have two children. We understand how multiplication works in the natural realm, and the same is true in the spiritual realm. Last week, if you were here, we talked about two churches, one church over here that only one person did all the work, and they were really struggling. This church over here, everybody that joined the church was a part of reaching out and being a part of the process. This is how God designed the church, where everybody is a 
part of the process. And so that was multiplication. And so again, we've talked about, and I've heard so many people say, leading somebody to the Lord is the greatest feeling in the world. And it is an amazing feeling to lead somebody to the Lord. But I think even a greater feeling is somebody that you've led to the Lord is out leading somebody else to the Lord and helping disciple them. That's where the multiplication process happens. And then so as we think about community days, and Brad and Brad have been talking about it in announcements, but it's really about just ministering where we are in our life. I used to think we had to come up to church two nights a week, go out and visit, then rush back home, come back to church, go out... How many of you know that if we would just live it everywhere we go, that everywhere we go, we bump elbows with people that need Jesus, people that need to be loved on, people that need to be encouraged. And so as we think about community days in October, I just want you to kind of think about the 360 degrees of your world, where your, your family, your friends, the social media, where you work, where you shop, your neighbors, your school, random encounters. I mean, if we would just minister everywhere we go, I want to tell you, we would reach hundreds and thousands of people every single week. And so I'm excited to know that we can all be a part of ministry. If we would just, again, everywhere we go, be aware of people who are hurting without God. And our ultimate goal is to fill the earth with fruitful people. Again, it's not just about getting numbers. How many of you know we can fill a church with people, but if they're not fruitful, if they're not having a love relationship with God, it doesn't mean anything. And so being fruitful, number one, then multiplying, getting other people falling in love with God. And the goal is to fill the earth with people who are in love with God. That really is the goal of discipleship. Well, let me give you just some basic uh, facts about discipleship. Number one, say it with me, discipleship equals relationship. And so we're talking about building a relationship and relationship equals time. It does take time to invest in people's life, but again, that's important. And so we're kind of thinking about the life of Jesus, his example. The Bible says he appointed 12 that they might be with him. And so he invested his life in these 12 disciples. Now one of them fell off the wagon, Judas, who was really never on the wagon. But sometimes people we disciple don't make it. But again, he invested his life in these 12 guys. I just want to remind you, he didn't get 12 disciples this week, go out and get 12 more disciples next week, go out and get 12 more disciples. It wasn't about the numbers, it was about investing in these 12 because Jesus knew that he had to invest in these 12 in order to reach the multitude. All right, so that's really important to remember. Number three, his time was short. He only had about three and a half years from the time he started his public ministry till he was crucified. How many of you have been saved at least three and a half years? All right, I mean, think about it. He didn't have that much time. He had to literally invest his life in these 12 disciples. Now, did it mean when he spent all this time with the disciples that he loved the disciples more than he loved the multitude? No. I think he loved the multitude, but he knew in order to reach the multitude, he had to disciple these 12. He had to equip them to ultimately reach 
the multitude. His objective was to make disciples, not just converts. It wasn't just about seeing people come to Christ, but they were, had to be discipled. Class was never dismissed. He frequently trained his disciples while he was either eating, walking, resting. I mean, class, his life was his classroom. He always was teaching. Number six, his strategy was to do a thorough work in the lives of a few faithful men and women. So he invested his life in trying to reproduce his ministry in the life of these disciples. Number seven, his goal was to reproduce his divine life and resources in the lives of his followers. That was his passion, was to get them doing what he was doing. All right? And so we've talked about in general three areas of ministry as I look at the Gospels and think about his ministry, kind of a three-dimensional approach. He spent a lot of time teaching and preaching, which I believe took care of the mental needs. And people today need to hear the word. They need to be encouraged. Maybe just giving a scripture, maybe just sharing something from God's word would encourage somebody. But they also, Jesus spent a lot of time with physical needs, whether it was healing someone, whether it was feeding somebody. He cared about the whole person. So he spent a lot of time teaching and preaching, but he also spent a lot of time healing the sick. And he also spent a lot of time with spiritual needs, spiritual warfare. He cast out a lot of demons. And so, again, his ministry was teaching and preaching. It was taking care of the physical needs and the spiritual needs. And how many of you know that 2,000 years later, it's no different? Today, people need to hear the word taught and preached. But we also need to care about the physical situations that people are going through and also the spiritual warfare as well. And so I want to go back to Matthew 9 and just kind of look in the life of Jesus and see how these three always kind of went hand in hand. Now, right before this passage, he had just cast a demon out of somebody and they were kind of astonished. So right after casting out a demon, the Bible says this. Let's read together from Matthew 9. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Let's stop there. How many of you are excited about that? And so we talk about how important it is to teach and preach. It is vitally important that people hear the word of God. Absolutely. But then it has a comma. He not only was teaching and preaching, but he was healing every sickness and every disease among the people. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Now, if we're honest with the text, why were people coming to Jesus? They were bringing sick. They were bringing demon-possessed. There were so many people hurting. They could not come to the local church because they had no place for hurting people. Can I just remind you that when we start reaching people, when we really start reaching the world, there's going to be a lot of mess. There's a verse we quote a lot out of Proverbs that says, where there's no oxen, the stall is clean. But when you start having oxen, when you start reaching people, there's a lot of manure to shovel. I mean, there's a lot of problems going on, but can I tell you the love of God cares about the whole person. So we got to be faithful teaching and preaching. We got to be faithful uh, dealing with the physical and the spiritual needs of people. He was moved with compassion. Why? Because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. You know, the Bible, Jesus described lost people as sheep not having a shepherd. We might look down our nose and say they're no good sinners. 
But Jesus looked at them as sheep needing a shepherd. They need someone to love on them. And so when Jesus saw this multitude of people, let me ask you something. He limited himself to a human body. Can one person, and here's the question, can one person reach everybody? No, one person cannot reach everybody. So what's Jesus going to do? He's going to get the disciples doing exactly what he's doing. I mean, if we're going to reach the multitude, he has to multiply what he's doing. So he gets the disciples doing the exact same thing. Let me give you the, the accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In Matthew chapter 9, he said to the disciples, Right after this particular incident, again, multitudes are coming. They're bringing sick, demon-possessed people. He said to the disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, I pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into the harvest. How many of you know when you start praying for God to raise up labors, guess who's going to go? You. You know, the truth is, he asked them to pray and then turned around and he sent them out. And when you really begin to pray for God to reach the community, I guarantee you, he's going to want to use you to be a part of that process. And so it goes on to say in chapter 10, he sends the, the 12 out. And listen to what he sent the 12 out to do. This is Mark's, or Matthew's gospel. He sends the 12 out. Let's read together. As you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How many say amen to that? Amen. Go out preaching. That's good. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. It's interesting that he literally sent the disciples to do exactly what he was doing. And again, if we're going to reach the multitude, we got to multiply the, the ministry. Now, Mark's gospel says it this way in Mark chapter 3. Let's read together. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach, to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. So basically, again, in Mark's gospel, same thing. He sent them out to preach, to heal and to cast out demons. In Mark chapter 6, says it a little bit different. In Mark chapter 6, let's read together. Jesus called the 12 to himself and began to send them out two by two. He gave them power over unclean spirits. They went out and preached that people should repent. We like that. And he cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So again, if you read the account in Matthew and Mark, literally he sends them out to do the same thing. Now he adds a few things in there. He tells them to take no money with them, tells them not to take take any luggage. They were to be totally dependent upon God, but they literally were to go out and do exactly what he had been doing. Now Luke's gospel says it this way in Luke chapter 9. Let's read together. He called the 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So again, same thing. Every time he sent them out, he sent them out to do exactly what he was doing. So here's the question. Can 13 people reach everybody? You know, he realized the multitude, he could not reach them, so he sent out the 12. Now there's 13 people doing ministry. And now the question is, can 13 people reach everybody? Now the obvious answer is no. 13 people can't reach everybody. So in Luke chapter 10, he's going to send out 70 others also. Now, when he sends out the 70 others, guess what he's going to have them do? 
exactly what the 12 was doing, exactly what he was doing. So in Luke chapter 10, the Bible says, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also. I'm assuming that's other than the 12. So we don't know a lot about these guys, but he sent them out two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. And notice what he says to the 70. And by the way, if you have your notes, right off to the side, baby disciples. These weren't the upper echelon of, of people who had been with God. I think these were baby disciples, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. So he sends them out two by two, and notice what he says to the 70, exactly what he said to the 12. He said, the harvest truly is great, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into the harvest. So he told the 12, pray, and then he turned around and sent them out. He tells the 70, pray, guess who he sends out? The 70. Can we just take a minute? Let's just take a minute and pray for God to send out labors into this harvest that we live. And can I tell you that if you honestly pray for God to raise up labors, I will guarantee you that you will be part of the solution. Let's take a minute. Father, in Jesus' name, we just come before you and we ask you to raise up labors. Father, just to be aware of the world that we live and Lord, that as we go out, that you would just raise up men and women who are willing just to, to be used by you. So fill us and use everyone here today in Jesus' name, amen. So he tells the 70 to pray and then he turns around and sends them out. Now, like the 12, he says, don't take any money. Don't take a suitcase. Be totally relying upon God. Now, it doesn't say here, I don't believe, to preach. He doesn't tell them to preach, although I think that's implied. And it doesn't say to cast out demons, although I think he mentioned that because when they came back, I'll tell you that in just a minute. But he says to the 70, these are baby disciples. These are new believers. He says, heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. He tells these 70 baby disciples, I want you to go out and basically do what I've been doing, what the 12 have been doing. And notice what happens when they come back. The 70 returned with joy. Wouldn't it be great to see the power of God and to come back on Sunday with joy of what God is doing? Whoopee! I cannot believe what God has been doing. I can't wait to have testimony time to share what God has been doing. They were excited. They returned with joy. And what did they say to the Lord? Even the demons are subject to us in your name. They found out they had the power of God, not because, again, they were somebody, but because they were using the name of God. They said, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning. He, it's almost though he saw the power of God or the power of Satan broken. I mean, man, we need the power of Satan broken. He, I mean, Jesus was excited. He says, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but you better rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Can I tell you the most important thing is that you know Jesus. The most important thing is that your name is written in heaven. That is the most important thing. But God wants to use us. And when they came back, notice what it goes on to say. In that hour, the Bible says Jesus rejoiced in his spirit. You know, whenever the Bible says Jesus rejoiced, I always want to step back and say, what is it that made him happy? 
You know, because many times he was sad. Many times he was angry. But here it says he rejoiced. He was excited. When they came back excited, he was excited. He rejoiced. And notice what he says. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent, and you have revealed them to babes. He says the smart people that have it all figured out, they have all the formulas, but they're not experiencing it. But it's the babes, the people who, who literally are babes in Christ who are willing to trust God, these are the ones that he's using. That's why I think they were baby disciples. I don't think they had it all together, but they were willing to trust God and go out in faith. Even so, Father, it seemed good in your sight. So can 83 people reach everybody? You know, Jesus couldn't reach everybody, so he got the 12 doing what he was doing. Then they got the 70 doing what the 13 were doing. Now there's 83 people. Obviously, 83 people can't do everything. So what's Jesus going to have to do? Get some other people doing what they're doing. So probably one of the most preached passages in the Bible, we call it the Great Commission, Matthew 28. I just want us to read it together. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe. Let me stop right there. Teach them to observe, to live, to practice. Jesus said, when you're going out making disciples of all nations, here's what I want you to teach them. I want you to teach them to live, to practice everything that I have commanded you. Kind of sounds like we ought to be doing the same ministry they were doing. Jesus said, I want you to teach them to live everything that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, in the book of Acts, if you were to slow down and just reread the book of Acts, you're going to find a lot of teaching and preaching. You're going to find a lot of taking care of the physical needs and the spiritual needs. As a matter of fact, Mark's gospel ends this way. He says, they went out and preached everywhere. and The Lord was working with them and confirming the word through accompanying signs. Now, people have said to me, and those of you who have studied the Bible will say that this last part of Mark chapter 16 is not in some of the older manuscripts. People will tell me that. Pastor, this, this particular passage may not be in, in some of the older manuscripts. But here's what I say. If it's in the Bible, I'm going to believe it. I mean, otherwise we got to get scissors and start cutting it out. I remember hearing Corey Tim Boom, she shared, uh, she was talking about the power of God and what God was doing. I think I just went forward. Corey Tim Boom was talking about what God was doing, and she quoted this latter part of Mark chapter 16. And an intellectual came up to Corey Tim Boom, kind of kind of help her out and tell her that, you know, Corey, you know, you gotta understand this last part of Mark 16 isn't in some of the older manuscripts. Gonna help her out. And she got excited. She got more excited. She says, she goes, man, God not only confirms and God not only backs up the original, he even backs up the add-ons. <laughs> Can I tell you, I believe the same God that we read about in the Gospels, the same God we read about in the book of Acts is able to do today what he's always done. I believe that. And I believe we're part of that teaching and preaching, taking care of the sick and casting out, I mean, delivering people from spiritual bondage. I think it's the same today. 
You know, you look in the book of Acts, and I just challenge you, and we have so many programs on evangelism. We got thousands of programs on how to repeat something, how to say something. But can I tell you, we need to do it God's way. And I believe that when God shows up and does what only God can do, I think God will produce results. You know, in the book of Acts, and I challenge you to go through the book of Acts, Everywhere you find the power of God, you find people getting saved. You remember in Acts 3, the one guy got healed who was lame from his mother's womb. One guy got healed, and the Bible says the result of that one guy being healed, thousands ran together. Thousands ran together. Peter didn't get up and form a healing line. He got up and he preached Jesus. He preached the gospel, but because that one guy was healed, it brought thousands of people. He stood up and preached the gospel, and the Bible says, about 5,000 got saved. How many of you think that's an okay Sunday? But if we're being honest, what brought the people was the healing. What got the folks saved was the gospel being preached. And remember, they were warned not to teach or preach in the name of Jesus. They, were, they warned the disciples. And when they went back to the early church, they prayed for a boldness. And this is a verse I hear preached at evangelism conferences. They said, God, give us a boldness to preach your word. And all the preachers at the evangelism conference say, amen. And then they go to another verse, and they forget the last part of the verse. They said, God, give us a boldness to proclaim your word, comma, by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders are done in the name of Jesus. I tell you, when God shows up and does what only God can do, you're going to have a boldness to share Jesus. I just want, I'm being honest with you. Sometimes we get accustomed to not seeing the power of God. We get kind of used to really nothing happening. But every time Jesus went to church, something happened that wasn't in the bulletin. Can I tell you, we ought to be seeing people set free every Sunday. We ought to be seeing people minister to physically, spiritually. We ought to be seeing people saved. But I'm, again, I'm just challenging you to check it out with the Bible. You know, I remember, remember when Philip in Acts chapter 8 went down to Samaria. You remember the story? The Bible says the whole town of Samaria believed Philip when they heard and they saw the miracles. I call it show-and-tell evangelism. They weren't just talking about what all God could do. They were seeing God do something only God can do, and the whole town turned over to Jesus. I want to see that happen today. I want to see God do something only God can do. I know I've shared at some point, I remember a pastor friend went to a, a, a foreign country. He was in a mission field in a little village. And a guy came forward, just kind of a very poor, very ruddy looking. And he had, you know, and according to the way the pastor was describing it, he had snot coming down his nose. He was all clogged up. He, but he, this young man walked down and he told the interpreter, I believe God wants me to pray for someone who's blind. Now he said, that, you know, that is out of the box. I, we don't do that at our church. But he thought, you know, I'm 2,000 miles away. Nobody knows me. He says, sit down here on the front. He said, as soon as that guy sat down, he turned around. The next person they brought up was somebody who was blind. And this blind person said, I think God has led me to be prayed for. And so this pastor's going why not? I mean, I'm away from home. Nobody knows me. I'm not going to be labeled. So he goes, gets this young guy, snot coming down his nose, brings him over to this other guy, and, he's, and he laid his hands on him. 
And he said, God is his witness that day that blind man was healed. You know, sometimes we've so figured God out and we've got so many formulas on what has to happen for revival that we've kind of put God out of the equation. But I think people are hungry. I think people are hungry. They're tired of just going through the motions and counting heads, counting nickels. I think people want to see God do something only God can do. In Revelation, we're going to find people from every tribe and nation. These are people who come out of the tribulation. But you know, this gospel that he sent, he challenged us to make disciples of all nations. Can I tell you that it literally will multiply and every nation on the face of the earth will ultimately be reached. Let's just close with these two verses in Revelation 7. After these sayings, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I believe God wants us to participate in reaching people. Can I tell you, as we, as we talked about last week, and if you weren't here, God never designed the church where one or two people are doing all the work. God designed the church where the entire body of Christ is to be a part of the ministry. Just right where you are, I just want to pray a prayer, and maybe you're here today, and maybe you're not honestly sure that if you were to step into eternity this morning, that God would welcome you into his presence. The greatest gift of all is just receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And maybe you're here today and you're not sure in honesty that you've really ever committed your life to Christ. I just want to encourage you to pray a prayer similar to this. Dear Jesus, I realize how much you love me I realize that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I ask you to forgive me. God, I surrender my life completely to you. I ask you to come into my life and fill me with your spirit. From this day forward, my life belongs to you. just spend a moment just loving on Jesus and just asking him to fill this place with his spirit would you ask him to use each vessel here just to be a part of the ministry